Hi everyone, my name is Essen and you're listening to the Brown History Podcast. When we think of Goa, we usually think of beach parties, vacation, or that movie, Dil Chatae. But Goa was once the headquarters of the Portuguese Empire in the East for 450 years. They were the first colonial powers to come to the subcontinent and they were the last to leave. The Portuguese brought a different face of Christianity to the subcontinent and they used it to impose their rule over Goa. They planned for Goa to be the Rome of the East and that took violence, torture, and erasure. We sit with Angela Barreto Xavier, author of the book Religion and Empire in Portuguese India and discuss the transformation of Goa during the first couple of centuries of Portuguese colonial rule. It's a fascinating episode and if you're enjoying the podcast and you're enjoying the Instagram page, please do support us. Uh, all you have to do is become a patron. Just visit brownhistorypodcast.com. Your help goes a long way. It, it tells me that I'm doing a good job and that there is uh, love for it. And that is a motivation in its own. So thank you so much for listening and uh, let's get this started. As far as I knew about Goa, I knew that there was a Portuguese conquest there and I understood that um, Catholic religion was prevalent in that region. But I guess the Goa that we all talk about and think about now is a party place, beaches, a fun place to go to. So it's surprising to know that it has this kind of really dark history and mm-hmm. and not really talked about. So I was curious to know if, if today in Goa, do people of Goa have conversations of colonialism and and the and the history, uh, the violent and dark history, or is it kind of like not talked about anymore and people just kind of live their lives? So no, yes, there are two, two things are happening today, which is which is interesting. Uh, the other day, I was I was traveling in the new Goan airport, mm-hmm. and the new Goan airport, the decoration is all. Well, almost all referring to the colonial period and the Portuguese presence and the the, the influence in in Goan architecture, for example. And I was really shocked with that because uh, because it's uh, like this um, um, the traces of this colonial past, which are very evident in uh, in especially in in the central territories of Goa. Uh, now became like um, a coin for attracting tourists, you know, mm-hmm. like this mix between India and Europe and so on. Um, that was that is something that at the same time is really a point of big criticism. So you have like an academic discourse and also public discourse that is very much against colonialism, but the same public sphere uses colonialism or the traces of colonialism to sell Goa to as a tourist attraction. So and it's working. And it is working. And it wow. is working very well. But people who grew up in Goa and, and were raised in Goa, do they question their identity? Yes, uh, because because there are many Goas in my view. And there is not only one right. Goa. Um, there are many goals because the territories that that constitute the state of Goa of today have been conquered or annexed by the Portuguese in different periods. So not all the territories were part of Portuguese Goa at the same time. There are three t- territories that um, very central, which which are from the 16th century until the 1961, and the. Um, Majority of Goa, of the territory of Goa, even if in demographically it's not majority because these central territories are the most 
populated or were the most populated. Um, they have been annexed or conquered only after the second half of the eight, of the eight, of the 18th century. Yes. Um, so, so while in these central territories Christianity were, was um, imposed from the beginning, in the second territories there was a change in the political culture in the Portuguese Empire. So, so there was not the imposition of Christianity anymore. Right. So you can see that the people that belong to these other parts, they don't have the same connection to, to Western values or in Western cultural values, at least, even if institutionally, yes, um, as the people of the central parts. So for ones and the others, the, the, the way they think about their own identity is, is quite different, of course. Besides the fact that some are Catholics and others are Hindus or Muslims and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, you have many discussions, but they are different discussions depending on the parts of the people, well, from where people come from or their education or, or the fact that uh, their ancestors have fled away from Goa in the 16th century. You still have people that are very much attached to Portugal today, even today. Before we get into more into current times, for people who don't know the historical context of Portuguese Goa, we should start from the beginning. And I wanted to know what Goa was like before the Portuguese came. I have the thesis that there was no Goa before the Portuguese came. <laughs> All right, true. The region that was there where the Portuguese came and conquered. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, okay. But it's important that um, I just say why I have this thesis. Yes. Uh, because, because this region were never unified under the same political empire, because it was always submitted to different empires for such a long period, um, like 500 years. Uh, well, not all, but, but uh, this just much before, let's put it that way, like with the Kadambas very earlier, uh, these territories were under the same political regime, but like uh, since the 10th century onwards, it was uh, disputed by different empires. So, it was different kingdoms, basically. Yes, uh, yes, kingdoms and empires, actually. Right. So, so, so this means that um, these regions they they were very complex uh, and they had different historical biographies. I must say, I I can put it like that. Mm -hmm. So also because different migrations since the very early periods, um, and this multi-layered, it's it. These were kind of multi-layered societies. Not only one community, not only one identity. Even if they shared some aspects, and they did, but uh, but they also did not share many other aspects, and and that you can see. For example, in the in the deities that um, that were um, that existed in different parts of, uh, of this region at the time of the arrival of the Portuguese, and mm -hmm. um, you you have like in this uh, in these central regions. Now I'm thinking about the central regions. Um, in the southern part, you had like the main uh, male deity was uh, from Sanskritic origin. When I might say like that. While while in the in the northern regions 
it was not in a Sanskritic origin. So, and that can show you that like the reasons of Brahmanization or Sanskritization of these regions were not exactly the same at the time of the arrival of the Portuguese. Uh, the other thing was, it's also related to what we usually call system of okay, case system that um, also operated differently in different places of this region. I would say even connected to that, the land regime of these different regions were also not equal. So, so you see, you can see only by these three factors I could enumerate others that, uh, that um, diversity was one of the features that characterize uh, these um, different regions that we call today Goa. Wow. So then, then the Portuguese came, and how did the colonization of Go of that region take place during the 16th and 17th century? Well, badly, violently. <laughs> yeah, violently. Um... Violently. Well, it was uh, first. It was the conquest um, in 1510 by Afonso de and his troops allied to a local ruler, Timoja, uh, or Timaya, uh, depends on who, who writes the, his name, and um, and also with local allies, because because that's something we, we really have to understand. Um, the previous uh, domination of these territories uh, was the Bishapuri Sultanate, and it had been there only for 30, 40 years, not wow. more than that. Uh, and before that, it was the Bamanid Sultanate, and then before that, it was Vijayanagar Empire. So in the 15th century, uh, you had like three different uh, dominations uh, of Goa. So, so the local elites, I would say, had at least in, the, in their memory, the memory of their ancestors, this understanding that there was a volatile thing. The, the external dominations were not always the same, you know? So when the Portuguese... So so I, I even argue that they, many of them had a kind of culture of negotiation because they knew that they could change dominion if... Uh, if if the, they wanted to? Well, that would look very nice, but uh, but uh, but not exactly like that. But since they were weak on one hand, um, they could also give their services to another ruler that could offer them better conditions, or, or at least they believed that could offer them better conditions than the ruler the the ruler they had already. No, so that was how the conquer of Goa somehow happened in 1510, which was a very violent con conquest. It was not nice at all, especially it was extremely violent for the Muslim people uh, living in Goa at that moment. They were apparently almost all killed and or expelled and, uh, well, we, uh, really an awful thing. But the locals that were not Muslim um, they were granted a kind of contract that initially was supposed to protect their rights and um, even not um, expand their taxes or even lower the tributes they had to pay to the Portuguese. So, so it was a conquest, but it looked like, at least for the local elites, as a not so bad thing in the end, you know? Okay. But, um, but, uh, but this initial move, this initial move changed dramatically in the 1530s, 40s. 
the Samis to say, while in the beginning, the Portuguese were not um, imposing conversion because it was not the main issue in contrast with what some people defend. In the beginning, it was not the main issue. Um, the main issue was trade, definitely. Uh, trade, spices, this was, was really the main issue. The main um, goal to colonize that area was trade. That's what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Because okay. there was there was this more general plan, and goal was part of this more general plan that was to control some key ports, uh, yeah. not only in India but also in in the Gulf, uh, in the Arabian Sea, and also Malacca. So so and and that was the main idea was to control ports in to to have um, the control also on the spices flow you know and that was working not so badly in the beginning this plan um but but you know we we have to think about the political culture of the colonizers also because sometimes we and i i was trying to do that in my book was it's a, a very political book in that sense. Uh, first thing I was trying to do was to understand which was the political culture of the people that were living in Goa in that period, but also of the colonizers, which were the political imagination of these two different sets of people. Yeah. And the political imagination of the Portuguese rulers, and again, the Portuguese are also not all equal, but of the Portuguese rulers, uh, changed dramatically after 1521, in the decade of 1530s, I must say. Not only in Portugal, but also in all Europe. And that is very much related to a religious issue, which is the separation between Catholics and Protestants that happens in this period. Right. So the papacy in Rome doesn't control anymore all Europe as before in religious terms. And that creates um, a need to expand Catholic religion. Um, so, so the fragmentation, the religious fragmentation of Europe leads to, to the expanding of the, this need of expanding Catholic religion. Wow. And this is parallel to the beginning of the Portuguese and the Spanish empires. And it's not by chance in that sense that you have like South America and Central America, South America, as well places in Asia where the Portuguese, because it's the same chronology, being converted to Christianity, uh, systematically converted to Christianity. And, and then in, since that moment onwards, violence, and namely cultural violence, uh, started um, very intensively in this in these different places, both in the Spanish Empire and in the Portuguese Empire. Wow! So, so all of a sudden, they went from wanting money and power in the trade spice to we need to convert people to Christianity and we need to spread the word of God. Uh, not exactly. That would be very. I mean, that was a, a goal, a genuine yeah. goal to spread the word of God, but it was. Mm, not exactly, not only that. It was that was uh, converging with this idea that you can only conserve the territories, like political conservation. It was de became dependent on the faith of the vessels of the king. So there was this belief, you know. So if 
if you are ruling people that have different creeds, yeah, then conservation would become much more difficult. Political conservation would become more much more difficult, and that was not the previous experience in the Portuguese Empire, or well, not in the Portuguese Empire in the Portuguese Kingdom. Uh, for example, in the medieval period, you had like Muslim and Jewish people living in the Portuguese Kingdom, and it was not. There was there were lots of conflicts. They were subalterns and all that, but this was possible as a, pol a political arrangement. By the end of the 16th, the 15th century onwards, this starts to change. Like the Jewish people in Portugal are obliged to convert to Christianity. The Muslim people in Portugal are obliged to convert to, to Christianity. And then 30 years later, with the, the separation of Protestants and Catholics, this move becomes even more crucial to, to guarantee political conservation. So, so, so it's not only the spread of the word of God, it is the okay. uh, alliance by of this will of spreading the word of God with a political need of conserving territories. Conserving territories, you mean? You mean like taking the land, like obtaining land and and owning it? It's more. It's more than that. Also, in the political culture of that period, what was really important was not only taking the land, the, the land, but the number of people you are ruling over. So, so it's it's like a it's like a deeper way of colonizing someone is by using through the word of God. In a sense, oh, definitely, definitely, okay. I see. Definitely, like, um, like for example, missionaries were telling, writing about this, and um, and telling the Portuguese king or other authorities that um, the first converted people would not be real Christians, but uh, second and third generations would become real, genuine Christians, and oh. if they would become genuine Christians, they were even even using these words. They would become the best soldiers for his your majesty. Wow. Um, you know? That's crazy. It, yeah, it's it's crazy. But there is also another variable that I didn't refer, um, which is that Portuguese kingdom had more or less one million people in that period. So so it was a very small kingdom. And um, to send people abroad to colonize, what's not Easy, obviously. No. So, so the number of colonizers was was relatively scarce. So, so there was also this. So, if we don't have real allies locally, we cannot do it. I am putting this in easy words, but you know. Uh, I understand. But, but uh, so, so, but how to make uh, allies? real allies, genuine allies, uh, by converting them to Christianity, by making them like Westerners in a way, if possible, if it was possible. It was not possible, but there was the belief that they could do it. So so th this was um, an important, and conserving the territories was essential for trade. So you see, something that was in the beginning was more about trade, then it becomes for to trade to persist in a way you have to 
to have uh, um, um, demographic basis that is very solid locally, but to be very to this demographic basis to be very solid, then you have to convert people to Christianity. Question was a bit more or less like this. I'm uh, it's more complex, obviously, but it's a bit more like this. So now the the goal is to convert everybody, and the Portuguese are controlling this region with people who have their own religion, their own traditions, their own languages, uh, their own way of life. How do the Portuguese convert people into Christianity? Okay, so uh, I use the concept of cultural conversion more than religious conversion because uh, because uh, first of all, I, I, I don't believe that the Portuguese converted local people, uh, religiously speaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the beginning, they were be- they believed that they could do it, uh, but out of ignorance because they didn't know anything about the local religions, devotions, and how they operated, and um, and uh, and they also didn't know anything about how to put it, c- cognitive processes uh, and uh, logical processes and uh, epistemological processes in in early modern India. Uh, what do I mean by this? It's um, in the Western world. And I, I don't want to, to say that India was structurally different. No, India, as you know, probably better than myself, had several philosophical schools and uh, several ways of organizing um, reality in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but Portuguese were unaware of this. And, um, and uh, in the Portuguese world, the philosophical tradition was mainly of Greco and Roman origins, Greek, uh, Greek origins mainly. And so the way of all Latin, Greek Latin languages were organized was a bin- binary way, you know? And when I mean binary was, you can be this or you are that, but you cannot be both at the same time. So it's, you are either one or two, you cannot be one and two. And um, and why I'm bringing this to the equation? Because the local people that inhabited the region of Goa um, didn't share necessarily the same principles, the binary principles of the right, project. right. So they could be um, devoted to their own deities and Christians at the same time. Wow. I see what you mean. They're, they're progressive like that, I guess, in the sense. Yeah, in the sense also that was com- cumulative. It was a cumulative way of of thinking about religion. While in the Portuguese case, either you could be this or that, either you were Christian or you were not Christian. So, 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 in the missionaries again, they faced this puzzle because they were saying, "Well, these local people, they don't understand what is the contrary of something." Okay. Because they were not understanding what was the logical system operating locally, you know. Um, so in that sense, we cannot speak about uh, religious conversion because we, when we speak, when we think about religious conversion, we think more about a closed system, a closed religion like Islam towards Christianity or vice versa, but not to an open religion system as it was, well, what we could call Hinduism at that period, but I don't know if I could. Well, I don't use this category. 
to the 16th and 17th centuries, uh, you cannot convert from Hinduism to Christianity in that sense, in that period, you cannot, definitely. So there was a nominal conversion to Christianity. And then what I try to explain in my work is um, that what really happened was a cultural conversion. And that happened through different ways. Uh, but the two main ways of doing it was educating people in Christianity and Portuguese language from the beginning, from the early childhood. That's why I was saying, first generation, they will not be truly Christians, but the second and the third, and the third they will. Um, because because they were aware of that, the, 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 well, from a certain moment onwards, like in 30 years, missionaries realized um, they knew more about the locals. So they realized that... that They're a lost cause. Yeah, uh, really, that was a religious conversion. That was a nominal conversion, not, not a true conversion. So, so you would not convert. You would educate people in a certain way. Like myself, I was brought up as a Catholic, but I didn't convert to anything. I was brought up as a Catholic because I was educated as a Catholic from the beginning. And, and also I learned the Portuguese language since the beginning, and uh, which means that the way I was thinking about many things like binary, this binary system I was referring to, was yeah. very much Western, uh, Westernized or European. Paisite, if I can say these words, um, so what's much more connected to the way our, our logical systems operate in operated and operate in Europe. So, so that's why I'm speaking about cultural conversion. And uh, and how did the Portuguese did it? Again, through violence, uh, violence, legal violence, legal which, violence. Uh, yes. Because they were they were uh, arranging a set of discriminatory discriminatory laws against the people that did not convert. Okay, so, so they they established laws where they're allowed to be violent if they don't convert. Uh, yeah, but no, it's not even allowed them to be violent. It's like if you don't convert and you have uh, you cannot hold positions, offices. Over people that convert, you know, right. non-Christians cannot rule Christians. That was a very old axiom in Catholic Church. Non-Christians cannot rule over Christians. So, so all the locals that have ruling positions, even the villages, local elites, and so and so on, they would lose their power from the moment onwards that there's subalterns or unprivileged people converted to Christianity, they could not rule over the converted people. Mm. So, so you can see how disrupting this could be for the system, yeah. for the systems operating locally. Now, the economy of power was would be completely dismantled this way. Can you describe the violence that occurred? How yeah. how bad was it? Okay, so you have this type of violence I was referring to you. For example, if uh, in Goa, you you the first to convert are not the privileged people, but then privileged people. So, uh, and now I'm speaking about social cultural violence more than other. So, and privileged people 
were given lands, for example, and uh, and they were told by the missionaries they didn't need to perform ritual services to the privileged people. So privileged people could lose their status, their social status, because they could not perform certain services for themselves. So then privileged had to perform these services. So, so if this happened, these privileged people had not many chances. Many of them actually fled, left the Goan territory. Apparently, around 30% of local elites, of local people, fled, left. Uh, but 70% uh, stayed there. No? And from this 70%, let's put it that way, 5% or well, not more than 10% were the elites. And in this, that state uh, either converted or they would lose their status and they pragmatically converted it. So it was not exactly a choice. They were, well, yeah, it was, they were more or less obliged to convert. Otherwise they would lose their, their, their positions and their ways of living, their ways of living. So, but in a way they preferred to lose and that is very difficult to put it, but in a way they prefer to lose their cultural ways of living than their economic and social ways of living, even so, if they were very much interconnected, you know? Okay. Yeah. So they rather keep their status and their money and their, their devotion than over their traditions and their religious beliefs. Yes, exactly. Even if in the beginning they were convinced that the Portuguese would not stay longer, since the memory of the past they had, of the past rulers they had, was that they had not stayed longer. Um, so 40 years, Bishop was Sultanate, some other decades, Bamani Sultanate and others, Vijayanagar Empire, they had all, all reasons to believe that the Portuguese would not stay there for long. Okay. Um, also because they were external powers they didn't know the land uh, as the others did but but actually for many different reasons I'm not going to explore this now uh, they were trapped by history I, I I would put it that way because because they probably believed that Portuguese would disappear in a moment or other and um, so, so this pragmatic move of the in the beginning was a real trap uh, for them, because even if they thought that this would not last long, actually it did last long. And so, 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 so they were their children were submitted to education, to learning the language, to all that stuff. And gradually, the Portuguese really created a kind of westernized local society or in different levels. Also, not all was so much westernized as others, but, but yes, but in 1720, theoretically, 90% of the population of Goa was, was Christian. So, so wow. it was, it was successful. At least nominally, nominally they were, but but since the Portuguese rule lasted until 1961, 
I would say that we're quite successful, yes. What about bloodshed? Was there was there a lot of bloodshed? Yeah, bloodshed. Um yes. torture. Uh, torture. Uh, you are speaking about Inquisition and all that. Yeah. I mean I Googled it and I saw some photos, I mean artwork that was pretty gruesome. Yeah, okay. Uh, there are some also some mistakes about Inquisition um circulating, I would say. But um Yes, but there was, there was for sure. Um, well, Inquisition first was established because of the, the Jewish communities um, and that the Portuguese uh, rule in different parts of, in different cities of uh, west coast of India, in the Malabar coast and Goa, there was Jewish, Jewish people or Jewish people of Portuguese origin that had left Portugal Besides, because there were these rules against the Jewish people in Portugal, and many of them had settled down in um, in these towns uh, under Portuguese rule or submitted to Portuguese rule, like Cochin, Cananur, and so on, and go on. So Inquisition was established because of that. It was not established because of the local people, and um, and that is the first important thing to say because sometimes. Um, there are some people that believe that Inquisition was established because of the local people. It was not. Um, but but since uh, it was contemporary, the conversion, systematic conversion of local people, uh, the local people that uh, were converted to Christianity and continued to practice local devotions and uh, ritual practices and so on, they would be under the scrutiny of the inquisitors. And, and then you can see a real big change from the, the end of the 16th century onwards. So if in the beginning you have this, what we call new Christians of Jewish origin, um, the, the main target from the end, by the, from the end of 16th century onwards, then the local people will be the, the main target, definitely. And um, yes, and there is violence. There is violence because I, I cannot say exactly the number, but uh, many of them were burned uh, at stake. So, so that is an awful thing, obviously. And they were tortured. Many others, or, or these were tortured, and others were tortured but were not burned. So it was uh, um, an heavy, a, a real heavy hand against the people that uh, were Christianized and were not Orthodox Christians, obviously. They could not be Orthodox Christians. So, so Inquisition had this, uh, um, was fixed in Orthodoxy and they had a, um, a very rigid understanding of what Orthodoxy was. So so majority of population of Goa could not be orthodox in 20 years or 30 years of course so so they were always mm, monitorizing controlling and and um, punishing those that uh, were were just what they considered that were deviants um, in relation to what was the orthodoxy um and but the Goan inquisition did something else even that was that did not happen in any other inquisition in the Portuguese kingdom, which was uh, they were persecuting also non-Christians. So inquisition 
theoretically could only persecute Christians. Wow. And non-Christians could not be persecuted. Because, because the, the, the mission of Inquisition was to guarantee Catholic, Catholic orthodoxy. So non-Christians were not Catholics. They theoretically were not under the grip of Inquisition. But in the Golan case, there was this um, also a theoretical rule uh, that some theologians defended and applied in Goa that um, the local devotions and ritual practices were causing scandal, public scandal. And public scandal was something against the faith. So the public crazy. scandal is what, like, uh, like a party well, or something? Uh, yes, yes. Well, everything Temptation? Was, yes, well, Sati was certainly Sati. a, a yeah. scandal, no? But Sati had been prohibited very early uh, in Goa. That was, that had been prohibited, Sati. But, uh, but public scandal could be... Um, dances of dancers in the temples that were oh, religious ceremonies, weddings, uh, yes, that... religious weddings, definitely, uh, and many other things that were considered like um, witchery because of the Portuguese understood that as witchery, um, and uh, things like that. All these would be considered public scandals. Also, for example, the weddings, local weddings, had many more people than the Portuguese weddings at that period. Yeah. Uh, many more people, many days of, uh, of festivals and all that. And um, and they would consider that public scandal. Also because compared to the Portuguese, like, I mean, it was really many more people, no? You see, like the local weddings could have 500 people during three, four days, five days, while the Portuguese had maximum 100 and during one day, and this um, this was unacceptable for a colonizer power, uh, that the colonizers had um, uh, less um, ostentious festivals for weddings than the colonizers. Yeah. So, 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 so they would consider that the local weddings were public scandal, and they would reduce the number of, of guests saying no. Local weddings can have only 30 guests, not more, and, and things like that, you know. So so it was a huge, a huge uh, legitimate way, a huge, um, how to put it? Suppress? Yes, a huge suppress of cultural practices that was really terrible. And, uh, and also huge uh, ways of legitimizing this suppression, you know. It was a constant and systematic ways of explaining why it was legitimate to suppress. So, so this was not arbitrary in the sense that some people decided to do it. No, it was, I mean, the people that decided to do it were legitimating that uh, in legal terms, like always mm -hmm. explaining that legally they could do it. Um, so, yeah. what what happened to the 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 material aspect of cultural, like uh, books, statues, temples, and mosques? Were they all wiped out? Yes, 
uh, yes, um, almost all. Uh, well, some things just were escaped from being suppressed. Uh, some deities were moved to different places in neighboring uh, territories and so. Some books were also escaped because some missionaries thought that they should read the books in order to understand better the local culture to convert better the, the locals. But uh, but the main idea was, um, again, uh, um, rooted in a deep conviction that um, if you destroyed the signs of the local culture, namely religious local culture, if the eyes were, if the landscape changed completely, if the eyes were not seeing these signs, then the they would not they would be converted easily to Christianity. So there was this idea of substitution. So they would wipe out the local signs, um, religious signs, buildings, or statues, books, etc., and expelling the the priests. And all the officers of the temples, they should be expelled or converted to Christianity. And, and then substitute this by churches, by Portuguese missionaries and priests, by Portuguese saints, all the images and so forth. And there was, again, this philosophical belief that since the eyes were the first um, way of knowing, or the first sense. Yeah, um, the eyes. The eyes. So if the eyes didn't see, uh, so the intelligence also would not have um, information to operate with, you know? Yeah. So 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 there was this idea that they would be able to um how to say, I don't know how to say it, uh, to take out the roots. I don't know the verb in English for that. Um to pluck out the roots, to yes. take out the roots. Uh, the cultural roots, the local cultural. So, so basically, the, if you take out all the things that look like a different religion than Catholicism, then because the eyes are the first uh, window to knowledge, yes. and if they don't see that, then you're taking away the basic, the first layer of of this of the of the local religious and traditions, and that'll make it easier to convert them. If they only see churches and Christ and the cross and Jesus, exactly. That's that was the initial and the ingenuous belief. Obviously, that was yeah. very naive belief because because then they were started to realize that this did not happen. Of course, uh, that memory doesn't work like that. It's not that yeah. just one thing and put another. And uh, they started to say things about the locals, saying we we have never since people like this so much attached to their ancestors and to the beliefs of their ancestors and so on. It's right. like uh, it's impossible to deal with this because, because they realize, obviously, and, they, and then they even would say, yeah, when they look at the Virgin Mary, they are seeing their goddesses. Well, <laughs> there are frequent references to this, this kind of thing. But so, so there was this Enormous again cultural violence uh, in the beginning of uh, in the mid 16th century. So in the in this central 
territories of Goa again. So we are talking again of the central territories of Goa and not the ones that have been annexed after the second half, in the second half of the 18th century, because these policies did not apply to the others, other territories. So, but in the central territories, yes, from 15, between 1541, 1567, more or less, unfortunately, all the temples had been demolished, uh, the books burned, and um, and it was an awful, awful loss for the local society. Right. What what happens when they realize that that's not working? Then they then they move on to violence. Yeah. Or... No. When they realized that it was not working, uh, first Inquisition became more and more attentive to yeah. to, to these people, of course. Um, and they were using like because then there was this they realized that was a difference on what was happening in the well we can call public sphere outside uh, the doors of the houses and and there the locals were much more careful to not perform what was against the the new rules but uh, but then they realized that inside inside doors uh, locals continue to perform the, yeah. the right and, and the, the the usual practices so so they start to get into houses also to to look to look what was going on in in order to to well to take people to prison if necessary if they were finding them uh, performing the the cults they they were for, well, they were forbidden uh, from in the context of the Portuguese law to, to practice, so yes, there was uh, th there was these intensive uh, ways of trying to control all these uh, these uh, performances. But again, again, uh, there was, but uh, at the same there was, and and the lists of inquisitions show that uh, lots of people were under the scrutiny. But on the other hand, in 1736. The same Inquisition publishes um, an edict with the rituals that uh, were still kept by the local Christians. And you have an enormous list of rituals and rites that uh, the Inquisition was, and was unable, and the missionaries were unable to, 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 to control or to change. So, so there, were, there were always margins of um, keeping traditions even if the violence was really strong and imposing. Um, the truth is that still today, in these regions uh, that were more Christianized, um, you have lots of people that are Christians and still perform some of these of this rites. So, what, are, what are the... Can you give examples of these rites? Yes, I can give you an example. In wedding rites, for example. Wedding rites... Uh, in the local, in the beginning, in the 16th century, well, still also today in, in, in India, in Hindu marriages, you have at least two parties, one in the groom house and one in the bride's house. Yes. And that continued to happen. I don't know if it happens today in, in, in Goa, but uh, my parents were married in Goa and uh, they come from a 
from Catholic families. And so they had these two, they had these um, two moments uh, in their weddings. So they were, it was a Catholic wedding, but there was a party in the, in the house of the groom. And there was a party in the house of uh, the, uh, the house of my father, and then a party in the house of my mother. And also, if you go to Goa, the Catholic weddings are, have many more people. Well, if hundreds of people, or even more than one thousand people, then any marriage in Portugal only how to put it? Well, only the very, very, very rich people will have hundreds of people in the in their right. wedding. But in Goa, it's, it's mm. not only the very, very rich people. It's a common, a common trait in, in weddings. So, so this is one of these practices that really persisted against the, the grind, against the rules. And um, even if there were impositions in positions against it, people continued to practice. Wow. Um, that's an example, but I, can, I could give other examples that... Um, that uh, still still happen like the, the the shrines the catholic shrines in goan houses well the form of the shrine or the organization of the shrine uh, reminds much more of a hindu shrine than you know wow that's there, cool. have, yes there is the superimposition of all the well many christian saints and it's really amazing to, to see it. this logic of accumulation that I was speaking before. Now it is transposed to, to the Catholic belief and practice. So, so you, you can see in many different ways the, the persistence of um, cultural traits that come from the past years. You know, many people are completely unaware this is uh, a trait of the past. They are completely unaware of it, but uh, so well, they, sorry, they would even no, they even even well the the more, more the the Catholics in Goa that are the the real genuine Catholics, very self um, asserted about their Catholicism. I think some of them would even be shocked if they knew these were traits of a ancient Hindu past. Do Goan Catholics consider themselves Portuguese or do they consider themselves Indian? Depends on the generation. Uh, I mean, I, I would say that today, they, they more than Indian, they would consider themselves Goan. Goan. Uh, uh, we were talking about how the Portuguese were wiping out churches, and I mean, uh, wiping out temples and books and things like that. I read somewhere that the caste system wasn't wiped out and they kept the caste system and and allowed it to steep into Christianity of these new converts. So that remained. Is that true? It is true. Uh, and it is another what I call historical trap because uh, I was telling you before that uh, the first people to convert to convert in Goa, in the territories of Goa, were um, unprivileged people. Unprivileged. The first convert. Okay. And uh, and uh, the Christian creed, um, the Christian creed is about human dignity and equality. Right. Uh, so I don't know because I was not there in the 16th century, but yeah. but uh, but I can I can imagine that uh, if you 
persuade and privilege people to convert because they are going to be more dignified or even equal to others, that can be very attractive for these yeah. people. No? So the problem was that, so, so I would say that many of the, these people that converted pragmatically and not by imposition, they did it because they thought about Christianity as a way of uh, social mobility also. Right. Makes and, sense. And also to escape to their miserable condition. We can see that with women in particular, what is interesting. Because women uh, under the Portuguese law, because when they converted, they would become uh, like Portuguese. No, they would be under Portuguese law. So women under Portuguese law would be much more benefited than women under the local law. They, For example, they could inherit, widows could remarry, uh, and become landowners and things like that. So, so we can see that there are actually also a pragmatic uh, conversion of women to uh, what is a very interesting feature in the in the in the case of Goa, a conversion in Goa. This uh, we we have many historical documents where we see the agency of women in the 16th, 17th century in in local villages and so. Uh, but to convert to the elites, then the Portuguese allow the case system to, to to continue. They they in the documentation they say yes, we should allow them to keep their honors because otherwise they don't convert. Um, what so what happens with that? Basically, that the expectations have been privileged. I, would not going to be fulfilled in the end. Even if, if in the beginning they could expect uh, social mobility or or becoming like equals or, or so forth, after the moment when the elites convert and they keep their honors or their case, that's what they mean by that, then the, the case system continues to operate. As it operated in Go in that period, which is not so rigid as it operated later right. uh, in the 19th century, but still, uh, still. So, so, so you can see that in one century, um, the possibilities of life of unprivileged people just change dramatically um, because they can believe that they would become better off. And then, when the elites convert, in a way, they somehow go back to their initial social position. Yikes. Okay, I see. And it's very important for the elites to convert in, in order to colonize this region because the elites are, I guess, key to all of Goa. I would say it's not all of Goa. It's in many places. I, I'm not sure whether... Um, uh, well, it's we cannot generalize about um, imperial rule or authoritarian rule but uh, but it's difficult for imperial rules and authoritarian rules to really implement them it's uh, themselves and continue without any kind of um, acceptance of the local elites because um, because because 
especially external imperial rules, no? Because the elites are the ones that really know the land and how it operates. And right. And, and have the, influence. Yes, they have influence and they um in many the majority of these places the systems are already hierarchical. So so they have many dependents and all that stuff. So so it's much easier in a way to control the elites to control the territory then then to control and privilege people that don't have so much power and when i mean power it's power in different ways not only political power it's power of influence status uh, cultural power etc etc no and um, yes so 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 i think I and I would well in the case of Goa for sure but I I would say that's not only in the case of Goa it's um, the agency of the elites is fundamental to conserve right. uh, colonial rule the agency of local elites local elites <laughs> so today do Goans look at churches and do they look at priests and and missionaries as a as a legacy, not a legacy, as a tool of colonialism, as a, as a vessel of colonialism, or has all that been forgotten and people are now practicing the religion for the sake of their own choices? Does that make sense? That makes sense for Catholics, yes. I think uh, that the Catholics uh, in Goa today, they, they see they go to churches and um, they are religiously um, intense and connected because they are genuinely Christian, even yeah. if it's many times it's what uh, it's uh, what is called an Indian Christianity because it's not like in uh, Italy or in Portugal or other places. But yes, I don't think that uh, the majority of Goan Catholics of Goa today think about colonialism when they go to the church. Okay. But but the majority of population of Goa of today are not Christians. Right, right. So it's twenty five percent of population of Goa that is Christian. So. 75%, I don't know if they think all the time this is colonialism, I don't think so, but uh, but yes, if you would ask them this question, probably they would say, yes, this is a sign of Portuguese colonialism. You have a you have another yeah. book called Catholic Orientalism. Yes, uh, can I say three words of this Please book? Take as long as you want. Uh, okay, so this book, Catholic Orientalism, is called, in the subtitle is Portuguese Empire, Indian knowledge is um, well. It has many goals, um, and uh, one one of it. Well, it the the name Catholic Orientalism is uh, is um, had been chosen precisely to to distinguish it from the classical Orientalism that we heard of the British Orientalism, French Orientalism, and which are mainly. Um, from the late 18th century, 19th and 20th century. So in this book, it's about 16th and up to 18th century. And it's called Catholic because uh, it's about knowledge produced 
in the context of Catholic empires, okay? Right. Or, or Catholic imperial presence in in India. In this case, the Portuguese presence, but also the French presence in in the in South India. Um, and uh, and its argument, uh, it's one of its arguments is that um, classical Orientalism used lots of the knowledge produced under the Catholic uh, rules, but uh, they didn't um, how to put it. They didn't identify that knowledge as if it had been produced under Catholics, because. Um, because uh, in the turn of the 18th to 19th century, um, there is, as you know, this process of secularization and separation of religion and politics, at least theoretically, and also of religion and knowledge and rational knowledge. So, so in Europe, there is this belief that uh, knowledge produced in the context of religion is not exactly knowledge. It's not exactly, or at least it's not scientific knowledge, and um, and and so so this body of knowledge was somehow dismissed as uh, lower type of knowledge, um, but at the same time it was used by mm. the the people that was um, saying that they were not religious, uh, and um, and so there is this kind again this kind of trap. Uh, well, I like very much this. The word trap. Traps. No historical traps because they, have, because they 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 bring us to a more essential question and critical question is that people don't forecast the future. Right. So when people take decisions, they take well more or less rational decisions, thinking about what they think that future will be, but they don't forecast future the future. So. So these people were producing knowledge about uh, about India, uh, but they would never imagine that when they British and French would say, "Oh, this is less than knowledge. We 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 don't consider it, or, or at least we don't consider that their authors should be um, valued as as uh, scientists or or experts of, on India." You know? Yeah. So, 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 in that sense, there was there was this kind of historical trap. So the 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 knowledge regimes changed, and um, and so this body of work either became forgotten, and part of it became just forgotten, and we tried just to recover some of this knowledge, and other was not forgotten, but was um, dissolved. Uh, maybe it's the words. Uh, dissolved in knowledge produced in the 19th and 20th century. So what we try to do in this book is to either uh, two things, recover what has been really forgotten, and also to show the itineraries of knowledge from this 16th century until the 19th, and how some of this knowledge produced under these Catholic rules has been Mm, how integrated has been integrated by the the knowledge in the in the 19th and 20th century or also has been deposited in british libraries german libraries french libraries and therefore used by scholars of these regions uh, and not from the ones that had 
produce it, you know, right. this kind of, uh, problem of archives. And um, so so that's one of the goals. And what the other of, goal, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, go no, ahead. No, the other goal is, uh, that's why we call Indian knowledge, Portuguese and by Indian knowledge. And by Indian knowledge, we, we mean knowledge of India or about India, but also knowledge produced by Indians. Right. Because the same thing that happened to like Catholic administrators, missionaries, agents of European origin that had uh, collected knowledge about India, they did exactly the same in general uh, concerning their Indian uh, partners. Because many of these, uh, well, lots of this knowledge have been co-produced with, um, with Indians. So, but these Indians are also dismissed in the Catholic narrative. So you have a kind of double dismissing, dismissing of the Indians that have been producing also this knowledge. And then the Catholic knowledge dismissed by the, the people that was speaking, uh, thinking about themselves as being secular and non-religious, like the British and the French in the 19th century. So... So we get like a whole different perspective of history that we never got to see before. Well, it's uh, I think that's what historians should do, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, to bring new perspectives and help us to complexify uh, our images about the past. So what we were trying to do with this book. Sounds very interesting. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure and honor to, to hear you talk. Thank you and uh, wishing you all the best in this uh, great podcast. And, uh... Thank you so much.